Welcome to the world of consciousness, human development, and full potential. Here we have conversations with people from all over the world about the subjects that matter for our mind, body, and soul, so that you can create a truly spectacular life. It is all about weaving the sacred, the soulful, and the ordinary into our everyday existence. Inhale, exhale, and let's begin. This is Timeless Teachings, a global podcast with Jana Frey. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what is modern shamanism? Or what is breathwork? Or how soul retrieval can help you to heal traumas and find peace? Do you believe in past lives? Today, I'm having a conversation with Johnson Chong, the best-selling and award-winning author of Sage Sapien, From Karma to Dharma. Johnson is also a TEDx speaker, shaman, and the founder of Sage Sapien Soul Academy, where he trains aspiring meditation and breathwork teachers. Let's welcome Johnson. Johnson, thank you very much for joining us on Timeless Teachings. It is a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me, Yana. It's good to see you again. I know it's been over a year. I know. It feels like forever. And I know that many people who will be listening to this conversation of watching it don't even know who Johnson is. And that's why my first question. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Johnson? Okay, that's a good question. Who, who are you? Who are you, man? Uh, who am I? Who do I want to be right now? Yes. So I guess for what I offer as terms of in terms of services and my profession is I, I teach yoga, I teach meditation, and I also offer shamanic energy medicine and take people on retreats and offer transformational workshops. So you could say that. I'm someone who is in the realm of personal or soulful development. Uh, that's that's me in a nutshell. What else did you want to hear? Well, I like your next question. So who would you like to be? <laughs> <laughs> who would I like to be? Mm, who would I like to be? That's an interesting question. I quite like being me right now. I guess because I'm in an urban environment part of my purpose and my dharma really is to to help people change and shift their awareness and their perception so that they can optimize the way that they're operating in their lives and i guess if i were to be completely selfish i would not be doing this for others in the community i would run away and live in a forest or somewhere out in the mountains in peru and <laughs> just be with nature and not have to deal with Uh, urban living, but that is not part of my my dharma or my purpose. So I'm here in the city until spirit has a, a different plan. <laughs> and so right. and that takes that makes the two of us, right? <laughs> I can relate very much to uh that specific part. And for those of you who don't know Johnson, I 
have known him for many actually years and we have done many things together. And what I like about this man, that he's brilliant at teaching, especially in the urban uh, surroundings, right? I think it's really your specialty. I have watched you just helping many people, doing all kinds of talks and programs and retreats. And it seems to be something that people really understand well when you explain, because you're one of those teachers who study like in Peru and other places, and then you bring all this knowledge and all those principles to the urban living. And that's what you're going to talk about. How does that sound? Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Okay, so let's begin then. Let's start with um, urban living itself. So here we are living in the cities. I mean, I'm right now in Singapore, you're in Sydney, right? At the moment. That's right. Right. And um, so for someone who has been on a path of spiritual and personal and conscious development, as you are, so what is your experience of the urban living these days? <laughs> well, it's definitely changed quite a bit, especially since I last spoke to you. And especially these last two, two and a half years with this whole COVID fiasco. And I don't quite know what it is. The one thing that is consistent about urban living is the, the energy of overwhelm, I, I would say. You know, it changes, it goes up and down. There's, you know, people might say, oh, it's stressful, or I feel a lot of anxiety, or I feel depressed, or one word that's coming up as I'm speaking out loud is disconnection. That urban living promotes a sense of disconnection because it's removing us from our natural environment, which is nature herself. And, you know, a week and a half ago, I was down in Victoria staying at a shaman friend's farm and the nearest neighbor was a kilometer away. And it was quite wild in the land, like poisonous snakes everywhere, kangaroos jumping out, any time of the day, you had just rabbits and frogs and just this wild country. And what was so beautiful about that was, of course, the slowness of living and the lack of stimulation and reconnecting with the natural cycle of, of nature. And when you come back into the city, it's interesting you asked this question because I remember that transition. I got very agitated as soon as I got into the airport and then I landed and took my bags, got in the taxi, got home. And I thought, oh my God, I feel so emotionally drained because when I was on this farm where there was really only two other people and me, I could really feel into what was mine right? And what was not mine. Whereas when you're in a city, you're, you're, I, I live in a very dense populated area. So you're, you're picking up a lot of energies that are not necessarily your own. So whether or not we're conscious of it, you know, my neighbors downstairs or upstairs or through the thin walls, they might be experiencing their own emotional troubles or what have you. And we're picking that up, whether we're cognizant of it or not. And what this tends to do is make us sluggish or sleep deprived or, and that's why we do the practices that we do. That's why there are so many yoga centers in urban situations and less so in rural situations. Right. And this is something that it's, it's just the, the way that energy works. You don't necessarily need that when you're in a rural country setting, you have the land, right? You get up and you, I don't know, you mow the lawn or you do something very physically active. 
you don't see a bunch of healing centers out <laughs> in the farm countryside, right? Yeah, it's, you see the farm and the countryside, which is one big healing center, right? right exactly. <laughs> so, okay, so when we are in the urban environment, which many people are these days, right? And especially, I think it was very clear during this, what you said, disaster with COVID, which it was. Uh, people felt even probably more disconnected and more lonely and more overwhelmed. And yeah. so that's my question to you then, with the modalities that you have been using, and I know that you have been helping people for a very long time. So you probably tried also all kinds of modalities. So which one do you feel really help? I think they all help and they're all part, they help in different ways. They're, they, they complete different parts of the puzzle. Right. So the mm -hmm. yoga work that I do, yoga for me is not just this athletic physical thing, which it can very much be. It doesn't necessarily change the form of it. It can look very physically athletic, but if you just tweak the quality of how one is moving, we're actually shifting the energetic lines in the physical body to prep it for something more. And unfortunately, you know, especially I see it in urban cities. I've you know, I'm living in Sydney, I'm from New York City, I lived in Singapore and, and all these big urban places, a lot of people come into the yoga practice really to just feel healthy, full stop, right? That it's just a physical experience. I want to feel healthy. And then what? For what purpose? And the purpose would then have, it has to extend to something that is mentally or emotionally fulfilling. Right. So we, when we look at the, the yoga sutras, it's looking at the koshas or the sheaths of the body. We have the physical, that's the most dense, our bones and our muscles and our blood and our tissue. And then what's being stored in the physical is not just physical tension, but it's mental and emotional imprints, or you can say beliefs or stories that create that tension. And so if you feel like, oh, I'm not good enough at being a mother. I don't know why that came to, but that's a story I hear a lot. I don't feel good enough to be the mother that I think I should be or a father or whatever it is. I don't feel good enough to be the son or the daughter or the coworker or whatever. I don't feel good enough. So that I don't feel good enough story might then sit somewhere in the chest or for someone else it might bloat their belly, right? It manifests in different physical ways. And then disease starts to take shape and form. And we know that disease and dysfunction in the physical body is not independent of the thoughts and the emotions. There's a lot of research that goes into the psychosomatic, you know, the psyche that is of our psychology and the way that we, we think, the behavior patterns, the, the patterns of thoughts that we tend to nurture and cultivate, and how that leads to change in the somatic, which is soma is a Greek word meaning of the body. So you have the psyche and the soma completely intertwined. And so yoga for me is you break down the walls of the physical before you can delve into the mental and the emotional. So now you're more physically released. Then the next stage would be you have to go on an inward journey. And so the mental, emotional, they kind of dance together because you know, whether the thought comes first or the emotion comes first, it's kind of a chicken or the egg. You don't really, it's not really important. What's important is that you have to be aware that there's, there's a game happening and there's this pattern. And if you don't choose to be aware of it, you will let the game run you and run your life. And that's where a lot of people are missing 
that work. They're kind of, you know, you see a lot of yogis and they're very anxious and very stressed. And you're like, okay, <laughs> why are you doing yoga? Because they're not deep enough in the purpose of why they're doing it. And so then that's where the shamanic work comes in. And the shamanic work integrated with pranayama or traditional yogic breath work, which is really to help stoke the energy body, to prepare the mind and the capacity to feel through your emotions and drop into a more expanded or altered state of consciousness. And until we have an experience as humans where we have this altered state of consciousness, we're stuck in the same perspective because the personal development path is about expanding perspective. If we don't expand perspective, then everything stays the same. If it stays the same, you're probably going to be feeling the same stress and anxiety or whatever it is that's bogging you down. So for me, it's very important these days to integrate more of the energetic work, which is the breath work and also the journeying because the journeying gives us a deeper understanding. And more specifically, what's been interesting is looking at past life journeys. I've been running these. Clarify a few things here because yeah. not everyone might be able to keep up with the amount of information that is coming through. So let's just uh, slow down a little bit, right? So we have yoga. And so this we all understand, I mean, wonderful. So we do have yoga and the practices and we can do those and we start with the physical element of this. And then we start expanding into the emotional and mental, right? So you mentioned the shamanic work. Before we go to different details of a shamanic, how, how you have been doing it, can we talk a little bit, what is shamanic work to you? How do you define it actually? Because for some people, they might not even know what it is. Sure. Well, the word shaman actually is a word that comes from the Siberian region of the world, right? It's this word that can mean many different things depending on what tribe or what indigenous culture you ask. And shamanism in on a mainstream perspective is very much a word that is describing a broad range of practices. And for me personally, those broad range that that broad range of practice is about connecting to nature. Another word that shamans use for nature would be spirit or like earth mother or looking at our environment, which is mainly nature, right? The sea, the trees and the forest, the mountains as living beings, right? And if you look at a lot of indigenous cultures around the world, they have a living relationship with nature. And shamans have a custodianship or guardianship role with nature. They are not one to exploit nature. So it's a very different worldview compared to our consumerist urban mindset, which is I'm going to buy that milk. I don't know if you drink milk and I don't know where the milk comes from. A lot of kids don't know where milk comes from. They think it comes from the supermarket. From the market. They don't know it comes from an actual cow. There's no relationship of feeding the cow or touching the cow. And this is now as an urban shaman, right? There, there are things that I am disconnected from like that whole process of retrieving food, right? So a lot of the, the work that I do is more in retrieving pieces of the soul. That's another aspect of, of shamanism. There's, there's this whole earth ceremonial relationship where shamans, let's say dance or sing or drum in, in what is called Aini. I'm initiated into a, a strain of shamanism 
called uh it's from the caro people and they they actually don't use the word shaman they call themselves pacos and that's that's their local word that this other word shaman is more of a modern word and for them a paco in the high andes of peru is one who serves right so they define shamanism as one who serves not just people but also serves the land so in the same way that i can help a person the trees also have living spirits within them and so if if there is something that reaches out to you and communicates with you the rocks right the seas you make offerings you you perform ceremonies in ways that remind you of the living relationship of you and the other not just human beings but all beings and that would be shamanism in a in a broad sense a lot of the work i do in cities is more soul work soul retrieval work with with clients just to clarify also this because it's important when we mention those terms people understand different things sometimes right we just yeah. want to make sure that we are on the same page and people who are watching sure. and listening, they're also understanding what we're actually talking about so when yeah. you go to soul retrieval what do you actually mean under that so soul retrieval Oh, before we talk about soul retrieval, I guess I should also say that there's different ways to practice shamanism as well. Some some traditions use plants more so as an emphasis. It's kind of like their their highlight, their 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 main tool. So you have plant shamans, jungle shamans who work with the spirits of the plants, specifically in hallucinogenic brews like you know huachuma or ayahuasca or peyote and all of this, right? That take you on this psychedelic journey and then you go and expand your state of consciousness consciousness you have shamans that work primarily with with ceremony right and there are a lot, a lot of cultures that work with with just dialoguing directly with spirit you can call spirit god or universe or what have you and uh in my particular strain of shamanism we use what is known as a medicine bundle and we connect through dialoguing with these special stones that we have a relationship with is the spirits of the stone people because the stone people are the oldest people if you think of stones as people and trees as people we call them the stone people they're the oldest people on the planet because you think about the different layers of earth you can tell how old the earth is just by dating the stones right um so there are many different ways to connect to spirit. The main thing that shamans do is they connect directly to spirit versus go through a minister or a priest, right? And that would be where there's a divergence of, right? Because there's not too much different from spirituality and, and shamans and let's say organized religion in that the main, main difference because there are in religion, there's also moral precepts and codes of behavior to abide by. So you feel that you're in an integrity and there's purity and truth before you take action. In shamanism, you are the direct link to God or universe or source and spirit versus in other organized types of religion, you have to go through someone else all right be it a priest or an abbot or or someone right so i that that would be like the main distinction and now going back to this question of soul retrieval so we all have souls and our souls are on a journey and they're on a journey through time and space and through density density meaning this physical form and it's moving from this body 
through how many years you live on this planet and then it moves on and then has another experience. So it is infinite and it just keeps on going. And part of the experience of being human from a shamanic point of view is to remember the journey of where have you been, not just in this life, <laughs> and also to remember into the future, which I know sounds a little bit funny, but we can also, because time is not this linear thing in the shamanic world, it is timeless and it is not trapped within some set finite structure. We can also remember into the future because we've also been there at one point or another. And our soul journey sometimes gets forgotten because we experience physical trauma. Maybe you were in a car accident or, you know, someone dropped you when you were young and you hurt yourself. And so a piece of your soul leaves and they, the shamans call this el susto. And this is a loss of your soul where it's very simply put, it's like a piece of your soul got shocked from the harsh density of human living that a piece of it kind of left. And then it goes into the earth because the earth is a big magnet. She is she is the earth mother and she pulls part of it down and it's a piece of your essence. And so if you have a lot of these types of incidents that happen to you, you have lots of little bits of soul loss. Someone yells at you or you have a, a moment of great shock. And this doesn't necessarily have to be physical. It could be verbal or an emotional shock that someone says something to you or, you know, when kids get bullied in school and they, they go into a corner and cry because all the kids ganged up on them, right? Maybe there was no physical attack, but that's an, that's a big emotional shock. So that's a little piece of the soul. That's a susto. That's it's all leaving. And until one day, you know, our facial expression changes and, you know, we're like this really mean, miserable, grumpy person because we feel jaded by life. It's because we've lost a lot of our soul, which is energy without energy. You, you can't function in your most optimal form. And so soul retrieval is about reclaiming those different parts of soul that you dropped along the way so that you come back into wholeness. And the yogis might talk about this as balancing your chakras, let's say, right? You have all the different energetic centers that are correlated to the spine and the different organs. And they might say, oh, your heart chakra is not fully vibrating, right? So that could also be a soul loss, right? And so then you journey to go find it. Yes. And so in the shamanic work then, right? So when we do the soul retrieval, but you have been saying that is it the only way to do the shamanic journey or there are also other ways? Or this is the primary way how shamans would be doing that? Well, the way in which people do the soul work is going to look different depending on what tradition you come from, because some people may use different tools or they might have a different sequence of ceremony. But the main thing really is, is that we all, each and every one of us, has a psychic connection to the universe and to spirit. So if you're attuned enough and you're trained and you are initiated, because part of the shamanic path is that you're initiated by someone else from a lineage, and this initiation happens, you are able to then converse with spirit in your own unique way. We all converse with spirit in our own unique ways. And then we ask permission because a lot of it is about, you know, we don't go in and take 
that's part of the, the sh- that would be more sorcery. That would be less of the, the shamanic path. Sorcery would be just, I'm just going to take this. It's, <laughs> I demand this. The, the shamanic work is more, I'm going to offer a ceremony to spirit and see if spirit is in alignment with my request. Is my request coming from integrity or is it coming from this pure selfish drive? And spirit will then go and give you synchronistic symbols, you know, and sometimes the symbols are certain animals come to you, like literal animals coming into your ceremony, birds flying over in the right amount of time in a certain formation. So part of being a shaman is looking for the synchronicity of what's happening around you. A thunderbolt might crack through the sky and hit something, or a feather might drop in the right exact moment, and then you receive uh, the symbols as a sign. And another part of shamanism is really learning how to interpret the symbols of life happening around you and then giving it meaning and then using that meaning to change the course of action. And, and that then changes history, right? So that's very simply put. And so when you're going on a soul retrieval, your main objective as a shaman is to go and track when, where, how this piece of soul disappeared and offer a ceremony to invite maybe the lost piece of the child, you know, their innocence that was left behind. And, you know, it's safe now. Come back, come back, come back. And then there's certain energetic things that you do to put it back <laughs> around the physical body. Days, right? And then what then starts to happen in the person, the, the client, is they feel a shift in their energy. They might feel more vibrant. They might feel like, oh, I, I don't feel so sluggish or I don't feel this emotional cloud or depression over me or whatever it was from before. And some people might need a lot of these like little soul retrievals because they've dropped a lot of pieces of them along the way. And this is, this is part of the healing journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so part of the healing journey is also, I know that you use breathwork. Would it be correct? Yes. So I'm sure people know what breathwork is, but just in case they don't. So if you were about the breathwork. <laughs> yeah, there's many different styles of breathwork again. And the main, the OG of breathwork, we can say are the yogis. Yeah. The, the yogis probably have the oldest documentation of, of breath work and maybe the martial artists as well, you know, all the Qigong masters and the Kung Fu in the East. There's more documentation in the East, manuals and of sequences and of the science behind the breath work more so than other cultures, right? And breath work very much is a modern way of saying pranayam, right? Prana is the smallest unit of energy. It is, it's, It's the smallest unit of energy that exists. And yam is the restraint or almost the redirection or the control of that unit of energy. So it's, we're talking about the quantum now. It's like very, 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 you have to like really zoom in to see, and it's there. You can't deny it's there. And so how do we control and move prana? We use breath, right? So actually, if you look at the Sanskrit word of pranayama, they don't say anything about breath work. It has nothing. It, it, the breath happens to just be the tool to move energy. And that's where a lot of people get it confused because they think that breath work is just about breathing properly. No, the breath work is just the petrol to get the car going 
which is the physical body so that you can have an energetic experience that will shift your awareness and your consciousness. So there's various different types of breathing practices that now, if you just breathe by rote and just, you know, let's say do a breath of fire of a, yeah, that's mechanical. You can do it. That's breath work. However, if you're actually doing pranayam, there is a whole other part of it where it requires intention. It requires focus. You might use some visual techniques to track the way the breath is moving. There's some technical things to set up the framework of it so that the, the anatomical functioning of the diaphragm is moving properly. Maybe there's physical adhesion in the diaphragm, so you have to release it. So there's certain technical things that have to happen before you can have the breath flowing smoothly. And when the breath is flowing smoothly, then you can redirect its energy. You can use the energy from the breath to change something. So a lot of the times, modern breath work, this is just a broad general statement, is that people, again, are breathing just for health's sake. Like, I'm just breathing so I can feel better. And then they, they, they go, oh, well, I feel better now. Now what? You know, I, I don't have so much stress now and I feel more. You, there has to be something else beyond that, right? And that's where the shamanic work helps the breath work because the shamanic work of diving into the symbols of your soul and where you've come from through all these different incarnations define your purpose in the present moment. And it allows you to be able to take your life into a more fulfilling direction. And breath work alone is, is not enough. It's just a tool, right? So in some situations and workshops, I always add some sort of breath work to get the energy flowing, but it's always with the intention that it's there to amp up your ability to connect with your energy field. And if you can't connect to your energy field, then you can't do the other work. So I see it just as a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like starting the key in the car kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So here we are, let's say we start with yoga, right? With everything what yoga is, with the physical, mental, emotional aspects of it. Then what you were saying is and the body more relaxed, more open up, and it's more receptive. Then uh, people kind of able to go deeper into this more mental and emotional fields. This is where all of the work is the breathing, everything around the pranayama and the breath work. And that's also where the shamanic journey starts, right? Which is guided. And then that's how shamans help people to retrieve the parts of the souls that have been lost. Well, traditionally, shamans don't take you on a verbal journey. They just mm -hmm. go do it. Right? Mm -hmm. So they, they would do a certain energetic practice or process and call in spirit and just insert it back in, right? And then there's the opportunity for that same piece of soul that's just been returned to leave again, because what happens sometimes is when the client doesn't have an understanding of what's happening in terms of the symbols or when or where or how it was lost or why that piece of soul was even lost or why it left them, without understanding it to, from a psychological point of view, you could repeat the same pattern that caused the soul to leave in the first place. So then you have to go see the shaman and the shaman will do their thing and bring it back, right? That's traditionally how things have been done. And this new way of leading someone into, let's say, an inner journey, let's say in my past life workshops, I guide them through different posts, like marker points for different points 
to enter into an alternate state of consciousness to receive a message from a spirit guide or a power animal. And then they take them into the next scene and the next scene and the next scene. What then starts to happen is their mind starts to go, oh, that's when it happened. That's how it happened. That's why I did that. And they understand from more of a mental point of view, why? If someone can understand the why, and then the energetic stuff happens at the same time, that shift and change that they make will stick around the longer. And this way of doing a shamanic journey is a little bit more on the newer side. It's not something that's very traditional. And it's probably also, it's like, you know, there's practices between the East and the West, right? The biggest difference, usually, people who have very Western mindset, like we do still in some way, right? Or in a big way, that a lot of, uh, or urban also environment, just the way how our mind have been conditioned through the school system and work environment and everything. We need to intellectually understand everything, as you're saying, to before actually we almost allow our body to do its work. While maybe anciently in the old days, people were just simply in their minds. So it was okay for the shaman to do the retrieval and it was okay. Now mind, minds are complicated. So it's not as straightforward anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of booby traps there in the mind. And because, right, urban living has made our minds very complicated, we get trapped in this washing machine spin cycle of what we think is real. And in olden times, it was much simpler. You probably farmed and you had less, um, you had less drama. You, had, you didn't have your phones. You didn't have the media. You didn't have news. I mean, and if you did, it was slow media. It was like postal mail or, you know, it was a handwritten, you know, two-page treatise. And then you're like, oh, there's the news of the week. <laughs> that was it. It wasn't this every day being inundated. It's the quickness of modern life that has distorted the purity and the stillness of our minds. And so because our mind operates so quickly, to expect someone to go straight into stillness is, is almost like too big of an ask mm -hmm. when you take them on a storyline, because if you think about the frames of how movies work, the movies move much quicker nowadays with one frame, one frame, one frame. And so the eyes and the mind are processing information at lightning speed versus movies back in the old days. And it was much slower frame. And it's the same with life. Our mind, because it processes information so quickly, if we take people through a verbal process that stimulates their psychology, they're more likely to stick with it than if you took them into just, I want you to be still for 50 minutes and don't move, don't think. And this is very much the old way. And there's, there's a beauty in the old way, but we have to merge the two, the, the East and the West, the old and the new, because without that, there's no you know, chance for humanity to move forward. Right. We, <laughs> so, so that's really, I, I think that's really much summarizes the synthesis of all of this work. It's, it's about retranslating things that have worked for hundreds, if not thousands of years for the ancients, but making it like 3.0, 4.0, always redefining it because we're always changing. And the mind is only going to get more complicated because technology is going to get more complicated and buildings and technology is going to get more fancy and flying cars and outer space. And all of this is going to keep happening, right? And we'll have to keep redefining it. That's why there's all these wellness apps and there's all this like wellness technology and people are trying to build something 
on something that is so ancient. So. And with all of this, when we are heading in the future, as you just said, with the technology going to be more advanced, we're going to be more stimulated. Um, from your personal experience and your own practice and what you've been seeing around, what do you feel really important for people to focus on to keep that inner peace and equilibrium? What should people focus on? People, if I had to choose one thing that people need to focus on is constantly question that which you can't see, which is your blind spot. You know, I keep coming back to the analogy of the car. Back in the day when I was younger, I think this is an interesting analogy. I've gotten to a few scrapes driving my car. And a lot of it was because I did not quite see in the rear view mirror someone coming from the left or the right or wherever it was. And, and then, you know, I get into a car accident, right? And ever since I've been riding my motorcycle, and I started riding my motorcycle like seven years ago or something when I was in Singapore, because cars are so damn expensive in Singapore, right? So I was forced to get a motorcycle and I had to learn. What I started to understand because I narrowed you know, I didn't have such a wide vehicle anymore. I was on this narrow little bike. I could like really sense and see everything around me. So I could really look at my blind spot instead of like looking at my rear, my side mirror, I would have to turn completely around to make sure there's no car coming before I turn into this lane. So I have this wider perspective being on something smaller. And so this analogy of like shifting to a smaller vehicle is the stuff that we carry, you know, in, in, in a car. It's like, we don't need so much. If we kind of shrink that, we will have a clear understanding of our blind spots. We will be able to shift our perspective. And we want to constantly question that which we can't see because it's in the blind spots that we learn because the blind spots are going to cause like a car crash or some sort of accident. And uh, an example of a blind spot would be something in your relationship, let's say with your parents or your lover or your children or some person that you don't like at work, they are, that's, they're that truck coming from behind you. And the way that you deal with them, whether you explode at them or you yell at them, or like you push them away or you run away, you hide or you avoid is how you're choosing to drive your, your vehicle. And so if so to deal with your blind spot means, you know, oh, okay there's a truck coming my way. How am I going to deal with it? You know, am I going to let what they say bother me? Does it even matter what they say? Is it even about me? Am I going to get offended? Right? These are the questions. You know, this is the analogy for, for how we live. And so every person that we encounter in our life is going to reflect some part of our personal development. And we have to question, well, why did I meet that person? And why did they bring up that conversation or why did I get upset or right? It's always reflected in our relationship. So I would say that the main thing is for me is like blind spot is the main word that keeps coming up. It's like, look, look over your shoulder. What is that? You know, you can't run from it. You know, you have to, you have to kind of deal with it, you know? <laughs> so and with all of the beauty that you have shared, <laughs> the final question for today <laughs> In your understanding, what is human potential? Oh, what is human potential? 
human potential is your ability to question and understand why you have certain triggers from your blind spots and then to empathize with them, right? Because going back to the, the relational example of, let's say, someone did something to you and you can't seem to forgive them. And anytime you, you encounter another person that reminds you of this person who hurt you in the past and they keep coming up in your life, you're like, oh, I, I don't like that person. Just because of one little thing, maybe they're, they look a little bit like them or you know something they said reminds you of them or what have you. If you can't empathize with the pain that that person has experienced that led them down a series of events to do the thing that they did to you, right? Then on some level, you, you don't empathize with yourself, right? And human potential is our ability to see the pain like that everyone has and recognize that it's also within ourselves. And if we can then merge the borders of you and me and me and you and them and us and all of this, then something beautiful can start to happen. Without that, we're, we're going to be disconnected. And that's where a lot of the disconnection comes from when you were talking about COVID earlier and how everyone was freaking out because all of a sudden they're alone. I was fine. I, because I, 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 I was fine. And I don't say this from a way of like bragging, but because I had, I have spent time, a lot of time with myself and I had to learn to check out my blind spots and go, Oh my God, there's a demon over my shoulder. Oh my, Oh my God. There's that awful thing. That's making me cry. They're called our shadows for a reason, right? Just because you don't, turn back all the time to when you're walking, your shadow is still behind you. Your shadow is following you. <laughs> so you have to learn to embrace it. You have to go, oh, right. Yeah. That old thing, that time when I got hurt, I'm carrying it around with me and then constantly bringing it up into your awareness and embracing it. And that's human potential. Human potential comes from that because if you can't do that, then what are you doing? Where, where does your empathy come from? Why are you even doing the job that you do? For what purpose? If you can't empathize with the other person or the, per or the people who trigger you, <laughs> right? This is, this is where we create from. You know, people are constantly creating apps and technology and, and new toys and ideas and books because they want to help in, in a larger sense, the collective, the world. Right? But you can't help the world if you can't empathize with them. And that's the main thing is really this empathy piece. So, Thank you so much, Johnson, for joining us today. We had this very eclectic conversation about everything under the sun, which is related to shamanism and past life regressions and soul retrieval and all kinds of other things. And um, of course, we're going to include all the links and everything in the description. So everyone who wants to get connected with Johnson, please do check our descriptions. We will provide all information there. And um, otherwise, see everyone next time. Bye. Sarah. A gentle reminder that this is not a regular podcast because here we have no rules and no scripted questions. 
all conversations are spontaneous, unfiltered, and real with people from all over the world, regardless of their race, religion, nationality, skin color, language, or social circumstances. The intention for this podcast is to showcase the infinite variety of how human beings think and what they do to create happiness, fulfillment, self-realization, health, wealth, legacy, and overall, a truly spectacular life. Did you enjoy the interview? Feel free to share this episode with friends, subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel, and follow us on social media. And remember, you are the master of your own life.